mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, were you aware that there are two statewide issues on the November ballot? We'll tell you what you need to know about a pair of measures that have largely gone unnoticed in the run-up to the election. Also this morning, measured both in terms of lives and dollars, the magnitude of destruction left by Hurricane Ian poses a challenge for relief organizations such as the Red Cross in more ways than one. And October is Protect Your Hearing Month. One in eight Americans, including many teens, has some level of hearing loss. So when was the last time you had yours checked? This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. Today is National Vodka Day. So I'll just throw that out there. It's National Vodka Day. Also, Cinnamon Roll Day. So you can take your pick. Have some cinnamon rolls. <laughs> have some cinnamon rolls for breakfast. And uh, <laughs> vodka for lunch. Um, improve your office day today. Well, I think if you <laughs> have a little vodka, <laughs> that would improve your op- office. Uh, E-day today e-day international toot your flute day national ships in bottles day did you ever have a uh one of those uh, ships in a bottle i always thought those were were amazing like everyone had a ship in the bottle on the mantle of, of the fireplace national ships in bottles day national taco day and it is world animal day today so reasons to celebrate on this fourth day of October. Can we officially say that it is cold out there now? It is 39 degrees as we are starting the morning. And uh, I think when we've got temperatures in the 30s, we can officially call it cold. Can we not? I mean, I can see my breath. I, it's, you know, uh, it is uh, kind of cold. And this is, I saw this on the, uh, the Newswire. Uh, very good point. We know that regular exercise can help boost our mood during the winter months, but when it gets cold outside, like it is today, it can make it hard to get out, get out of bed and get motivated first thing in the morning. Personal trainer Luke Hughes has some advice on uh, getting motivated for your next workout. Get your outfit ready the night before. <laughs> sort of like getting your... Uh, clothes laid out for the first day of school when you were a kid. You build some excitement for it. That's the idea there, I guess. Stay fueled with a pre-workout snack. Maybe a cinnamon roll or two this morning. <laughs> um, let's see here. Exercise with other people. Is that is another way of uh, getting motivated. I guess because misery loves company? I didn't know. Um, he says, sometimes finding motivation for... Exercising can be difficult, so bringing a friend can help boost your momentum. Also, a good way to stay safe when it's uh, cold and dark out. If it is still too cold, though, he says there's nothing wrong with working out indoors. Maybe invest in some fitness equipment or basic workout gear. Watch a workout video and just do your exercise indoors. So nothing wrong with that, I guess. Uh, let's see. This I thought was uh, really interesting. I saw in the, uh, the newswire and, uh, I thought this is a, a really interesting story here. Um, 
Unscrambled Words. Is it an, an organization or a, a website? What are they? Unscrambled Words. They uh, put out a, a press release, this uh, organization, this group, this company, this organization, whatever it is. Put out a press release where they they basically analyzed Google data over the span of the course uh, of the past year and uh, they came up with a list of the words that stumped the most people uh, the words most commonly uh, the words that were most commonly googled to finish the sentence how do I pronounce blank how do you pronounce blank so these are the words that people have the most difficulty pronouncing and the number one word with a total of more than 20,000 hits is acai, A-C-A-I, uh, which uh, acai is the uh, pronunciation according to Merriam-Webster. The Greek community will be interested to hear the second most mispronounced word or the second most searched for pronunciation on google gyro a lot of people say gyro g-y-r-o gyro uh nearly eighteen thousand searches for that covid19 made a showing on the list with the word omicron coming in third omicron people don't know how to pronounce omicron i guess maybe this the uh, question is it omicron or omicron omicron uh, let's see here, about 15,000 hits. Uh, let's see here, charcuterie, is in a charcuterie board, uh, was fourth on the list. The Vietnamese surname, um, Nguyen, or Nguyen, N-G-U-Y-E-N, Nguyen, or Nguyen, Nguyen, there are a number of uh, different pronunciations uh, that are acceptable for uh, that, depending on the family. It's a it's a surname in common in Vietnam, so different uh, families pronounce it different ways. Uh, Nyoki, uh, Nyoki. I'm sorry. See, I can't pronounce it. Nyoki, G N O C C H I is sixth, while the techno uh, the technology controversy. Around the contentious word GIF is in seventh place. That is the uh, internet image file. Is it GIF or is it GIF? Either way, according to Merriam-Webster, is correct. I say GIF. I know people who say GIF. But to me, GIF is a peanut butter. (laughs) GIF is the computer graphic. Uh, Worcestershire uh, was the eighth place word. And uh, Dogecoin, the cryptocurrency, was in ninth place. And uh, pho, pho, is that how you pronounce it? P-H-O, pho, uh, the dish, uh, food dish, is uh, tenth. The list of the most commonly searched for pronunciations on Google. I just thought that was kind of interesting and perfect, perfect story to bring up on the radio. 
most of those words I do know how to pronounce. Some of them, though, I actually had to look out the pronunciation just to do the story. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, by the way, speaking of Google searches, this was interesting. New research into the volume of Google searches for excuses to miss work. <laughs> finds that those searches have risen dramatically over the course of the past two years. Uh, Fortune magazine recently reported that the Great Resignation is showing no signs of abating, and in the context of the return to the office, it is perhaps not surprising that employees are searching for excuses that they can give to skip work in larger numbers. Across the top 10 most popular different search terms... Search volume has increased by 630% from 2018 to 2022. 630% increases for excuses to miss work. Overall, the total number of Google searches that Americans are making to find excuses to miss work has soared from 355, just shy of 356,000 searches in 2008 to nearly 3.9 million such searches in 2022. That is a tenfold increase. <laughs> searching for excuses to miss work. <laughs> I love it. Um, this I thought was kind of interesting. See what you think about this. And I, I saw this. And I, it left me kind of shaking my head. See what you think on this. This is the story. It's a study out of the University of Southern California. And I'll just read the story. Uh, it says, we may reach for diet soda when looking for a healthier, healthier alternative to sugar. But a study from USC suggests that low-calorie sweeteners may do more harm than good. Researchers uh, studied rats who consumed artificially sweetened beverages compared with rats that consumed water. And they found that consuming artificially sweetened beverages during adolescence was linked to long-term memory problems, slower metabolism, and an increased risk of diabetes. Uh, the co-author of the study, Professor Scott Kanoski, said habitual low-calorie sweetener consumption during early life may have unintended long-lasting impact so again what they researched was uh comparing those who consumed uh like diet colas and compared that to people or well rats in this case compared that to uh test subjects that consumed just water and of course the uh diet sodas were going to be less healthful than water i mean that that's a no-brainer isn't it I mean, what if they compared the diet sodas to regular sodas? That's what I want. I mean, that's... Have they ever claimed that uh, diet sodas were more healthy than just plain old water? I don't know that they have. Have they? Or have they? I don't know. But that, I don't know that anybody thinks realistically that diet sodas are more healthful or as healthy for you is just plain water compare that to the regular sodas and see what those results uh have that's what i thought on that it kind of left me scratching my head i just thought that was kind of interesting and this is maybe the best news that you will hear this morning i definitely wanted to make sure that i shared this story off the newswire this morning you remember the ice bucket challenge that went viral Back in 2014, hard to believe it's been almost 10 years ago now, the Ice Bucket Challenge, but everybody was doing this. 
Oprah did it. The president did it. <laughs> Sports celebrities, uh, business leaders, everybody was doing the ice bucket challenge. Well, now, eight years later, we are starting to see the ripple effects of that challenge. The ripple effects turning into waves. The ALS Association confirmed that the Food and Drug Administration has approved the first treatment for ALS funded by the challenge. Uh, The association reported that $2.2 million raised from the social media trend, the Ice Bucket Challenge back in 2014, was $2.2 million was used in the development of AMX0035. The association explains that funds were also used to petition the FDA to approve the treatment during its third trial phase. The president and CEO of the ALS Association says this is a victory for the entire ALS community, which came together to advocate for early approval of this treatment. We still have a lot of work to do, but this treatment is a significant step in that fight. Uh, Larry Falavena, I think is how you pronounce it, who was diagnosed with ALS in 2017 and has been appointed to the ALS Association Board of Trustees, says the approval of AMX0035 is significant to those affected either directly or indirectly by the disease. The ALS community has proven that our advocacy can impact decisions that are being made about our health. We need new treatments as quickly as possible if we're going to turn ALS into a livable disease and eventually cure it. He said, uh, more than 17 million people participated in the Ice Bucket Challenge in 2014, and that raised over $115 million for the ALS Association, the challenge championed by Pat Quinn and Pete Freitz, both of whom diagnosed with ALS. Uh, Mr. Freitz passed away in 2019, and uh, Mr. Quinn passed away the following year. So they're not around to see the fruits of what they started, but... For everyone who participated in the Ice Bucket Challenge, and if you've ever wondered, did it really make a difference? Well, now we know. Indeed, it did. That is awesome news. So there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Plenty of sunshine expected today. A high of 69. Skies will be mostly clear tonight. A low of 42. Finley Municipal Court this week is providing people with driver's license restrictions a chance to resolve their issues. Judge Stephanie Bishop says there's a variety of reasons your driving privileges could be suspended. There could be a 12-point suspension, a non-compliance suspension, a failure to reinstate suspension. So there's multiple different ways that your license can be suspended, and there's multiple different steps that are needed for individuals to take to be able to get a valid license. The Finley Municipal Court's fourth annual DUS Day Clinic will be held on Thursday to help people get back on the road legally. Get more details on the website. AAA Ohio and the Ohio State Highway Patrol are reminding drivers that this is the time of year when deer-related crashes increase significantly. The Highway Patrol reports there have been more than 100,000 deer-related crashes since 2017, with most of them happening between October and December. They want to remind Ohioans to be extra cautious at all times of the day. I'm Tracy Townsend. And drivers are reminded to use extra caution and slow down, especially at dawn and dusk when deer are more active. If a collision with a deer is unavoidable, you should brake firmly and avoid swerving because that could cause an even worse crash. The Ohio Department of Transportation says with Old Man Winter just around the corner, they're preparing equipment and hiring extra snowplow drivers. ODOT District 1 is hiring in Hancock, Putnam and other counties in the district. 
ODOT says seasonal drivers can expect to work from December through March. Previous experience plowing snow is not necessary. We have a link on the website where you can learn more about the open positions and apply in advance. It's homecoming week for Finley City Schools. Homecoming week is finally here. We will be heading down and around Main Street to drop off some awesome and amazing Trojan Country signs. I uh, hope you're excited and getting ready for the big, fun, field week. As football coach Stefan Adams mentioned, as part of homecoming week, they dropped off a lot of new Trojan country signs to households. The Trojans' homecoming football game will be held on Friday night at Donnell Stadium, and then the homecoming dance will be held on Saturday at the high school. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now to our cover story this morning. Today we are five weeks exactly away from the November midterm elections. And did you know that there are two statewide issues on the November ballot in the state of Ohio? A lot of attention has been focused on the candidates, particularly the Senate race. But there are two issues that have largely gone unnoticed in the run-up to the election, and uh, want to talk about both of these because they both have uh, legal implications. Uh, Dr. Scott Gerber is uh, with us, the Ohio Northern University Pettit School of Law, Associated Scholar of the Brown University Political Theory Project. And uh, issue one... Scott, um, would make it clear in the Ohio Constitution, so this is uh, uh, adjusting the Ohio Constitution, would make it clear that a judge is required to consider public safety when setting the amount of bail for a criminal defendant. Um, this is would seem like a no-brainer. Uh, it has the support of the Attorney General. The Attorney General actually helped write the measure, what is the argument against this? Isn't this what judges uh, have always done? Well, the, the context of it was that in a recent case, the Ohio Supreme Court ruled that public safety should not be a factor in setting cash bail. Instead, the focus should be on ensuring the attendance of the defendant in court. And, of course, as you just pointed out, uh, the prosecuting side of the uh, debate uh, uh, jumped in and said that we have to protect the public. And so you mentioned the attorney general. Here's the quote. The presumption of innocence in court does not require the pretense that a career criminal is harmless on the streets. And so they want the amendment would require uh, the trial judges uh, take into account public safety when setting bail so again this sounds like a, a no-brainer what is the argument against this uh you know wh what is the justification then for saying that no we shouldn't uh consider public safety okay the argument against it would be that fear of future crime is not a justification to use financial means to deny a person their constitutional right to bail and of course when you're out on bail it's easier uh, to prepare your defense, and no one wants to be sitting in jail anyway. And so if you haven't been convicted, why should you have to sit in jail because you're too poor to be able to afford it? So one of the related arguments against it is it disproportionately impacts poor criminal defendants. 
which has long been an issue uh, with respect to the criminal justice system, you know, the uh, social injustice in the criminal justice system. And uh, there is uh, some validity to that argument. Yeah, there is. There is. Um, but as you said, this is a no-brainer. It's going to pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if a, a criminal defendant who, um, you know, thought he should get bail appeals it to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, they're going to uh, uphold what Ohio did. Because in a case, I think it was 1987, U.S. versus Salerno, the, the uh, U.S. Supreme Court says that the Eighth Amendment allows judges to take public safety into account when setting bail. So there you go. Is there is there any difference, and again, this may be splitting hairs, but is there any difference uh, between significance in the uh, ruling that says that a judge can take, or a, that it allows a judge to take public safety uh, into account, versus language that says the judge is required to take public safety into account? Does that bring up any legal issues? Um... I, I don't. I don't think so, uh, because you know, in the cases that the U.S. Supreme Court has decided, that's always in play. Mm-hmm. You know, does the does the judge have to think about public safety? And years and years ago, they said no. But in the in the more recent case, they said you, you can. And I, I get it. You're saying there's a difference between the judge can take it into account and he yeah. must take it into account. But yeah. I can't imagine that that an amendment that uh, uh, to the Ohio Constitution that requires a trial judge to take public safety into account yeah. is going to be viewed as uh, a violation of the Eighth Amendment yeah, of again, the U.S. Constitution. It, it seems uh, like a no-brainer. I guess the only other question that I would have with respect to uh, this particular measure is we know that the idea of sentencing requirements uh, imposed on judges has led to a string of unintended consequences and that many of those laws that were passed largely in the 80s and uh, into the early 90s on with uh, sentencing requirements for certain crimes have since been revisited because it didn't work out quite the way they expected. But this, uh, again, would seem to be different. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point you just raised. At the federal level, um, there's federal sentencing guidelines, and uh, the Supreme Court, in its most recent decision on that, and it's been at least 10 years now, said that as long as they're not binding, if they're just guidance, Mm -hmm. uh, they're okay. But that's a whole different, you know, independent judiciary separation of powers and federal constitutional theory kind of thing. Um, If the people of Ohio, though... Chris, if the people of Ohio yeah. say they they require judges to do that, that's the end of the debate. Yeah, I, I mean it, the people of Ohio. Just to make one other point, if the people of Ohio said we don't want to have a judiciary at all and amend the Constitution, that would be allowed. Oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah, yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, and and I guess that answers the the other question that I had with respect to this particular issue. Uh, why? Uh, why not do this legislatively? I guess it would uh, make more sense to do it with a constitutional ballot initiative. Yeah, this is a big deal. I mean, yeah. as I said, this is a, just a, a very quick response to an Ohio Supreme Court decision that uh, the Attorney General and others did not think was appropriate. And in dissent in that case, by the way, Justice Pat DeWine said it makes no sense. 
Yeah. We should be worried about the safety of the public. Yeah. It, it, like I said, it, it certainly uh, makes sense. So that is issue one that uh, folks will see on the ballot uh, here in five weeks. Uh, issue two uh, is one that, again, on the surface, uh, seems like a no-brainer. Uh, it would prohibit non-U.S. citizens from voting in local elections. It basically says in order to vote in an election, you have to be a U.S. citizen, which, again, uh, sounds like a no-brainer. This goes back to a local measure that was passed in Yellow Springs, I guess, uh, what, a year or two ago. That um, And for those who don't know, Yellow Springs is uh, probably the most liberal community, liberally minded community in the state of Ohio. One of the most liberal communities uh, in the country. And they have about a couple dozen non-citizens as part of the community that they decided they wanted to give a voice in local elections and now uh with this uh with this state issue uh that would put a stop to that what is the argument against uh this this measure that non-citizens are impacted by um by laws uh as well as citizens are and elected officials pass laws so that would be the argument and again uh the from what i understand opponents are saying you know this is the state coming in and uh overriding home rule uh laws uh poking their nose into local communities business again we talk about the law of unintended consequences does that open up a can of worms um, no, I, again, this is a no-brainer, too. This is going to pass, and it would be upheld if it was appealed. I mean, the, there's a provision in the U.S. Constitution, Article 4, Privileges and Immunities, and that basically says that one state is allowed to treat citizens of different states differently if there's a good reason to do it. And so the courts already ruled that, that you have no constitutional right, Chris, to vote in Michigan elections. Right. And, you know, so this is similar to that. Um and so, you know, citizenship ma- matters. And if uh, voting is a core component of citizenship, just like ages and things like that. And so I think the state of Ohio is allowed to uh, say in its constitution that if you want to vote in any elections in Ohio, you have to be a citizen of Ohio. Uh, and uh, this also uh, goes uh, further, as I understand it, uh, uh, talking about non-U.S. citizens, which uh, would seem to make uh, the the case even stronger. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, there. By the way, there are other uh, communities uh, that are are look at large and small that are looking at doing the same thing for local elections. Uh, again, not state or federal elections, but for local elections, allowing non citizens uh, to vote. Um, is this something that you could see an appeal uh, like to the Supreme Court? Again, not from this case, but you know from. I don't know, some someplace in New York or California or some other where this might uh, end up going beyond just the state of Ohio, ultimately? Yeah, for example, in June of 2022, so just a few months, mm-hmm. uh, New, New York City uh, passed an ordinance saying that non-citizens can vote yeah. in municipal elections. And so, you know, New York City is a, an enormously important city in America, and so I could see that winding up uh, 
all the way through. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I mean, it's, it's just so basic that citizenship and voting go uh, hand in hand that I can't imagine that uh, when this thing gets uh, approved by the voters that it would be invalidated by any court anywhere. So uh, the bottom line <laughs> with, with both issue one and issue two, uh, they are seem to be very straightforward uh, ballot measures. Uh, both of them would probably not uh, be subject to any further review or appeal uh, or would be overturned. Maybe there would be an appeal, but they uh, certainly would uh, hold up. So interesting stuff there. Again, uh, these are a couple of issues that have largely, like we said, gone unnoticed in the run-up to the election, but we wanted to make sure that people are aware uh, that they will see them on the ballot uh, in five weeks, uh, if not sooner, if they are voting early. Uh, with the uh, little more than a month now uh, to the election. We are also, and uh, uh, we're going to talk tomorrow on a different subject, but an equally uh, interesting uh, subject. The Supreme Court term is uh, underway, uh, got underway on Monday, yesterday. Uh, This uh, new term, just real quickly, and again, we'll talk more about this tomorrow, Scott. How consequential will this be as compared to the last term? Um, it'll be hard to top the last term for the reason that we had several radio segments explaining uh, last term, but I think it's going to be consequential, you know, as we'll discuss tomorrow, they have the affirmative action in higher education, a question before it again, and I'm uh, I'm pretty confident they're going to say that you cannot consider race at all Mm -hmm. in college and university admissions. There's also, you know, questions about, um, whether a state, is allowed to set its own election rules and the state uh, court is not allowed to say you can't do it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's a big thing. Um, There's more uh, sort of gay rights, uh, religious freedom uh, matters on the court, uh, things like that. Indian child welfare. And that's what they call it in the statute. Uh, Native American child welfare. That's, in there that's also about race so there's a there's several really important ones it's hard to top overruling roe v wade though, that's but. very true that's very true uh we will get to into more detail on that tomorrow morning again scott gerber uh professor at the ohio northern university pettit school of law associated scholar of the brown university political theory project scott thanks very much as always we appreciate it you're welcome chris As we were mentioning uh, yesterday, uh, you remember Hurricane Ian is now in the top five of largest, uh, strongest storms to hit the United States. Of course, barreled across Florida last week before later making landfall as a much weaker storm in the Carolinas. And it has obviously, if you've watched the uh, news coverage, you've seen the images, seen the videos. Uh, it is a massive, massive emergency response. Todd James uh, with the North Central Ohio chapter of the American Red Cross is with us this morning. And Todd, you have been a part of a number of disaster response teams in the past. When you look at something like this, uh, it's I, I would imagine it's just got to blow your mind even having been uh, part of uh, you know similar types of events in the past almost unprecedented as you said it's in the top five and and really it's still ongoing uh this you know this situation is still unfolding areas are still flooding the water has no place to go 
still a lot of areas uh, people can't get into, search and rescue. That's a part of it that I think, you know, we don't actually, especially from this distance, uh, the the thing that we don't appreciate that this isn't just, uh, you know, something that happens over the course of 24 or 48 hours and then goes away. No, exactly. And, you know, a lot of the devastation and the images we're seeing from the southwest coast of Florida, which took the brunt, but this storm tore across the entire state. You've got communities that well inland that have been inundated with, you know, almost two feet of rain in some areas. And also the Carolinas have been hit hard. So kind of take us through uh, sort of the, you know, insider's perspective of, of this response, because as you said, virtually the entire state of Florida, and then you get into the Carolinas, Georgia, uh, even Virginia, there were some, uh, there were some areas of, of pretty significant damage. So, I mean, this is, you know, a house fire impacts one home or a tornado tornado impacts one community uh you know the type of flooding that we see uh you know affects one or two counties uh, along the the banks of a river but this is such a massive scale yeah right now initial damage estimates uh are pointing to maybe up to 200,000 homes damaged or destroyed so um, the focus for the red cross right now is really shelter and feeding making sure people have a safe place to stay they've got access to fresh food and water and also access to immediate needs like prescription medications eyeglasses medical equipment canes wheelchairs all these things that they lost that they need um it's going to be a long time before a lot of folks are able to get back home to see if they have a home to return to uh, so they're staying in shelters or they're staying with friends or they're in hotels uh, and they're going to be there some for a few more days or weeks, some for months to come. And, yeah. and unfortunately, a lot of the areas that were hit, uh, retirees that are living on fixed incomes, mobile home parks, um, they may not have a home to go back to. So. It, it is really so fresh and still early. It seems like it's been a long time. I mean, it's been less than a week, of course. Um, but it, it, you know, in the news cycle that we're used to, it, it seems like it, it's, it's been a long time because right. we've been talking about it for 24 seven. The flip side of that is that after a while, this will kind of fade from the news cycle and we'll move on to the next thing. But as you were talking, this is going to take weeks, months, maybe even years for some folks to get back to some semblance uh, of normal. And that's got to stretch the the resources uh, that you have available uh, pretty thin. Unfortunately, I wish I could say that it's not the norm, but we are seeing this. We've been seeing this for several years now that, you know, Ian, the wildfires out west, storms in Puerto Rico, Alaska, um, all over you know, these are just unfortunately clear examples that we're seeing more and more climate disasters that are increasing in frequency and intensity. Uh, for the Red Cross, in the last two years, during 2020 and 2021, we had an average of a new major disaster every 10 days. So mm. that means our wow. volunteers been on the ground nonstop, you know, sheltering and feeding and providing comfort and recovery and we're still looking. It's still, you know, right in the middle of hurricane season. We're looking at storms out there in the Atlantic still that could become the next named storm that we have to worry about. Uh, it is, without a doubt, um, one of the biggest storms that we'll have ever responded to. But 
it won't be the last. And unfortunately, you know, we have been aware for a while and are planning on the fact that we've got to be ready to handle several of these types of disasters at one time, uh, at any yeah. given time. And yeah. it is, you know, it is the volunteers that are, are out there doing it. We always are putting the call out for volunteers who want to be a part of our response and our relief efforts. We will get you trained up. And trust me, um, if this is something that's in your heart to uh, look into and be a part of, there is a need and a place for you, and we would love to hear from you. And the uh, other uh, aspect of this that I, I definitely want to make sure that we uh, point out uh, is that with such a large-scale event and so much news coverage and, and so on, everybody wants to do what they can to help, and that is an opportunity. Uh, the scams are out there, always better to help out through uh, known vetted organizations uh, that you know are, are out there on the ground helping people. You're exactly right, Chris. It's a, an unfortunate fact that when something like this happens, there are those who will want to take advantage of it for their own gain, uh, which is so sad, but is a fact. Um, the best way that, that you could help, if you want to help the folks in Florida, you know, if you want to help us do what we're doing here at the Red Cross, uh, a financial gift to our disaster relief fund, you know, at, uh, you can visit redcross.org or call 800-RED-CROSS, uh, or you can text Red Cross to 90999 to make a $10 donation through your cell phone bill, uh, because we can take those dollars and really make them stretch you know, because of the level and the size of the supplies that we're purchasing and um, the agreements we have with a lot of the folks who help us out. But there are a, a number of good causes, but definitely you want to research it, check with the Better Business Bureau if someone makes an appeal and, and you aren't familiar with them, right. uh, or Charity Navigator is another good one. Mm -hmm. Volunteer Volunteers, as I said, are always needed, uh, both at the Red Cross and many other companies and organizations. I know that a lot of folks, you know, they want to help whatever they can. And sometimes the, the best way they feel they can help or the only way is maybe to give stuff, to give clothes or a case of water. Unfortunately, that's not something that, that we're equipped to except uh, it takes a lot of money and it takes a lot of manpower and expertise to be able to ship those donations to uh, if it's clothing, you've got to clean it, sort it. Right. So we work with organizations that do handle that. There are several organizations in Northwest Ohio that do collect those items for large scale shipments. Um, but I know, you know, I heard Governor DeSantis in Florida mention many times the same thing that they have a lot of the supplies on hand that they need to, to please don't send the stuff. Um, unfortunately, what happens in many of these uh, disasters is at the end, there are piles and piles of these items that, that were sent down without really a plan of how they were going to get there or mm -hmm. what was going to be done with them when they arrived. And, and they just kind of sit there until someone can figure out how to dispose of them. And we hate to see that. We know um, that people who want to help and are giving from their heart want their help to go where it can. Um, so definitely before you give, look into what is the best way to give, what's yeah. the best organization that you can give to that fits what you can give. 
Right. Uh, also, very important things to keep in mind as we all sort of respond to this and we want to help, want to, want to know what can we do, uh, all of these important things to keep in mind. And it is going to be a long haul for so many of these folks. Again, uh, Todd James of the North Central Ohio chapter of the American Red Cross with us this morning. Todd, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. We'll keep you updated and, and thank everybody. We've already gotten a lot of great calls of support and donations and, and people interested in volunteering. Call us at any time. You can call me here at my office. Call us at 800-RED-CROSS. Visit us at redcross.org. And, and thank you for helping us help the folks that have been affected by this devastating storm. 20 years of making mornings good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Where did I put... (laughs) Uh, Where did I put my uh, broken news uh, collection here? Get myself organized, doggone it. No, not that. Oh, here we go. This is uh, this is not a, a typical type of uh, broken news item that we uh, have, but this <laughs> caught my eye, and I, we've got to talk about this. If you are one of those uh, people that hates pumpkin spice everything, you will love this. Finally, a pumpkin spice product that literally belongs in the trash. Hefty has announced it has gotten in on the seasonal spice silliness with pumpkin spice-scented garbage bags. (laughs) I kid you not, officially, they are called cinnamon pumpkin spice ultra-strong trash bags. The idea is to have even your garbage smell like the unavoidably ubiquitous aroma of autumn. The hefty bags combine the strength of odor, the strength and odor control you know and love from Hefty with the crave-worthy fall scent of pumpkin spice. <laughs> uh, you can laugh if you want. I mean, but someone is buying them so far. Hefty's special website shows the pumpkin spice trash bags are all sold out. So you might just have to do with dumping some pumpkin spice hummus or <laughs> uh, just dump that in your normal trash bag and that will do the same thing. But pumpkin spice <clears throat> trash bags from the <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. You can't. Have we finally reached critical mass on the pumpkin spice stuff? From the broken, uh, from the international file of the broken news, firefighters in Malaysia were called to a school to save a 10-year-old boy who had gotten his head stuck in a traffic cone. <laughs> Apparently, the kid was playing with some uh, traffic cones and got his head stuck inside of one. He tried to put it on like a well, it looked like old, an old-fashioned dunce cap, a big plastic, but he apparently jammed his head in too far and couldn't get it out. After trying to remove the cone themselves for about a half hour, teachers at the school contacted emergency services to help pry it off the youngster's head. 
It says you're following a delicate 20-minute operation with a cutter tool to remove the cone. Uh, fire and rescue workers were able to gently separate the child's head from the cone. Uh, the operations commander for the fire and rescue unit, uh, Mod Izel Azman, says six firefighters rushed to the scene with an SOS rescue tool after these are like the, the tools they use to cut people out of cars in accidents. <laughs> You're cutting the traffic cone off the head of a kid. Um, with the SOS rescue tool after receiving a call about the incident at about 1.30 in the afternoon, uh, he goes on to say we spent 20 minutes freeing the 10-year-old victim by cutting the cone using the rescue tool. <laughs> All righty then. <clears throat> Let's see here. What about uh, what about this? Kind of crazy. A uh, model who has uh, gone viral and viral popularity on the website OnlyFans, which is I don't know if you're familiar with OnlyFans. Generally, it's a lot of uh, adults only content, but not everybody is doing, you know, like homemade porn on uh, OnlyFans. That's a lot of what you find on OnlyFans, but not exclusively. Well, this model by the name of Lori, she has an OnlyFans channel, and she is on her channel allowing strangers on the Internet to make all of her life choices for her. She's decided that she's going to put everything up for a vote, and her subscribers can basically control her life. So far, she has broken up with her boyfriend, left her job, and gone on a helicopter ride. All based on her fans' votes. Lori says, I have no regrets. I don't know yet where this experience will lead, but I'll leave it up to my fans to choose the next polls. Puts everything up for a vote. Would you do that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Alright, uh, let's see here, and uh, I know I had uh, something else here. Oh, um, a couple of uh, U.S. postal workers from New York and New Jersey are accused of carrying out an expensive identity theft scheme. The Department of Justice says two employees have been arrested for stealing credit cards in the mail and using them at high-end stores in New York City and New Jersey. Uh, did they not think that somebody was going to notice this? They were intercepting credit cards because credit card companies send you a new card in the mail. Well, they would intercept these uh, credit cards, activate them, and then use them at high-end stores um, as if no one would notice and eventually figure this out. In all, they racked up about $1.3 million in charges before being caught. Authorities say five other people involved in the scheme have yet to be apprehended. Do they think no one would find out that no one would notice? I mean, honestly. And finally, in the broken news this morning, a 23-year-old man is in jail after allegedly... Stealing a fire truck. <laughs> Police in Greensboro, North Carolina, say Mason Washington stole the truck over the weekend from the public safety training facility 
in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, it was recovered a few blocks away. I don't know if he just decided he wanted to take it on a, a joyride, but if you're going to steal a vehicle, generally, wouldn't you want it to be something inconspicuous? A fire truck is not that. I don't know. Anyway, there you go. Uh, that is uh, today's collection of broken news. This update from the odd and unusual side of the headlines brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. And yet another major brand just announced is halting all social media advertising. The two most overused and abused words in advertising are truth and trust. They are the two most precious commodities for all brands, big and small. As an advertiser, you have to trust your partners to protect your brand's truth using the media consumer's trust. Radio, it's on. This message provided by WFIN. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Plenty of folks try to adopt a no regrets attitude when it comes to their journey through life. Maybe you yourself have that attitude. No regrets, right? But that said, everyone has a few regrets. You know, one of those moments or decisions that they wish they could go back and change, right? Well, a new survey finds that the average American says they have made four major wrong decisions in their life. Four decisions, major decisions they've gotten wrong over the course of their life. This is a poll of 2,000 adults. One third actually say they've made more than four, but four is the average. Uh, 71% wish that they had more guidance when it comes to making large life decisions. The biggest regrets that people have and the decisions that they have made in their lives they later regretted 29 percent say it involved making a career change 33 percent say purchasing a new home was a big life decision that they later regretted i thought that was kind of interesting and 38 percent say investing mistakes are the decisions that they later regret or maybe a lack of investing at all so they said those are the toughest decisions they've ever had to make how does that line up with the regrets you have in life well to your health this morning i know that it may seem odd to talk about hearing loss on the radio but uh that said Untreated hearing loss uh, is a serious uh, issue. Not only will uh, can it uh, lead to a disconnect uh, with uh, family, friends, co-workers, and so on, it also exposes a person to higher risk of depression, dementia, memory loss, uh, cognitive decline, and even personal injury. Joining us this morning is licensed audiologist Dr. Cliff Olson. So, I mean, nobody wants to go deaf, I would assume. Uh, so why is it, if we recognize that, you know, this is the eventuality, if we don't treat this, why is it that people put this off? Yeah, historically, individuals probably have not treated their hearing loss as early as they really should to make sure that they stave off all of those conditions that you mentioned a little bit earlier. But I think with the advancement in hearing technology, that has led to a, a really a, a massive uptake 
in hearing aid adoption. So I think that those numbers are starting to shift more towards where more and more individuals are actually starting to do something about their hearing loss. Now, uh, we also have heard, and we were reporting on this uh, a couple of weeks back, the uh, new rule that uh, allows for over-the-counter hearing aids, hearing devices uh, to be sold, kind of like uh, reading glasses are sold over-the-counter without a uh, uh, without a doctor's uh, prescription. Is that there's there's uh, some discussion as to whether this is a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Will it lead to more people uh, addressing this issue? What are the benefits? What are the concerns? Yeah, so just like anything, there are pros and cons to literally everything, and the Over-the-Counter Hearing Aid Act uh, is, is no exception to that rule. I personally am overall a fan. I think it's going to do more good than harm, and I think it's going to get individuals considering treating their hearing loss at an earlier stage, just like the the uh, prevalence of reading glasses that happened in the optometry industry. More individuals ended up going in treating their vision loss with prescription uh, lenses. And I think a lot of that is going to start happening inside of the hearing aid world as well, where people test out these OTC hearing aids, identify that they get some benefit, but the individuals who really want to maximize their performance are going to end up going down the prescriptive path eventually. So talk a little bit about what maybe are the biggest issues that people uh, experience with respect to hearing aids, perceptions and reality. Absolutely. So the number one concern that individuals have with hearing loss is being able to hear in a background noise situation. So when you start to look at what's available to help you actually do that, you want to make sure that you have hearing aid technology that has been designed to accomplish that task. And one of those devices is the Resound Omnia. This hearing aid was developed specifically with the intent of helping you hear better in background noise. And in fact, it's up to 150% better speech intelligibility when you get into noisy situations. So talk a little bit about the uh, the first steps uh, that, that people should, now that we've kind of brought this attention to light and, and gotten people thinking about this, what are some of the first steps uh, that a person should take to address uh, hearing loss uh, or hearing issues? Hands down, you should be having a hearing evaluation by a local audiologist. This hearing evaluation will be able to identify your exact configuration of hearing loss as well as the severity of your hearing loss. And if nothing else, to establish a baseline for the case that it declines over the course of time as we get older. And so one of the great ways to find a local hearing care professional in your area is to go to resound.com. You can even take an online hearing screener on resound.com. And then if it identifies that you do have some level of hearing loss, you can use their provider locator tool to find someone in your local area. You bring up a good point that I want to uh, underscore, again, uh, using the vision analogy, just like uh, everybody's vision issues are individual. No two people can wear the exact same prescription glasses. Same thing with uh, uh, hearing loss. I think maybe there's this misperception that uh, all hearing loss is the same. Yeah, I've treated a lot of cases of hearing loss over the course of time, and every single individual that I have treated is unique. And so different people need different things. You have to make sure that you identify what those things are, identify the hearing loss that's causing those different problems that they're having, and then you have to find the exact right technology and then program it the right way to accomplish what the user wants. 
And let me ask you this real quickly. Uh, you know, again, we talk uh, about a number of people who have untreated hearing loss and uh, some of the reasons uh, why. One big reason is perhaps because they don't realize just how significant their hearing loss is. What are some of the warning signs? Yeah, you hit on a very good point there. So when you start looking at hearing loss configurations, a lot of individuals end up having hearing loss in the upper frequency ranges. What that causes is you can actually hear that people are talking. You just can't make out exactly what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So it leads to a lot of asking people to repeat what they say. It causes a lot more difficulty in a background noise situation. And ultimately, it causes your family members and friends to get a little bit annoyed with you potentially. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, licensed audiologist. Dr. Cliff Olson is with us this morning talking about hearing loss and uh, ways to address it. Mention again the uh, website where folks can get more information. Absolutely. I do think going online is a terrific place to get some more information, but you have to make sure that you go to a reputable source. One of those sources is, again, resound.com. There's a wealth of information on there, and you can even go to my website, hearingup.com, for a bunch of informational YouTube videos of mine that I've put on there, as well as finding a local hearing care professional who's committed to following best practices. Very good. We will link those resources up on our webpage as well. Dr. Olson, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, Bill O'Reilly will join us once again. We'll talk about his latest book, Killing the Legends, Elvis, John Lennon, Muhammad Ali, and the lethal danger of celebrity. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.